everybody and welcome to the Hammer and Tusk Relaunch Podcast. We are putting these things out every Tuesday. As you probably know, every Tuesday Hammer and Tusk sends you a curated newsletter of the VR and AR news that matters. In case reading is not your content digestion method of choice, we now give you audio vitamins, stick them in your ear. It's called a podcast. My name is Mac. And my name is Ren. So, this week we're super excited because on Saturday we are hosting the Symposium on VR Journalism here in Vancouver, Canada. We've got people from New York coming, we've got people from California coming, and we are going to spend a day getting super deep on the implications of VR for journalism and the implications of VR journalism for the people at large. The hashtag is going to be hashtag SOVR, Symposium on VR. We'd love to see you join us in real life or on Twitter. Let's jump into today's episode. What's first, Ren? First up is technology startups, the game changers of virtual and augmented reality. Uh, Infographics about the big players in VR and AR and where they're differentiating themselves and how AR is really differentiating itself from VR. Was there anything surprising in these infographics or are they just pretty? They're just pretty mostly. I think the most interesting part is just seeing the smaller companies that have really um, taken over and which companies have tons and tons of patent applications versus what they're actually producing. It's pretty fascinating. Sony has 920 patent applications. Oh my goodness. But they're one of the smaller in terms of actually making products. So fun. They'll come this year. October 25th, I think we see the PlayStation VR. Exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. It is still the best headset I've put on from a like ergonomics perspective. It felt right to put the Sony PlayStation on my head in a way that nothing else has. Uh, designing virtual reality for pain reduction. So this is the story I always like to tell people. In one of the Hammer Tusk issues, we talked about people who did some basic experiments where they... Uh, took a took a participant in the study and they asked them to put their hand in a bucket of freezing water and on average somebody would last like 58 seconds or something. And then when they put them in a headset and took them to a tropical island and they put their hand in the bucket of ice, they would last two minutes, almost doubled I think, the amount of pain essentially cold that we could endure. This is this is pretty big deal I think. Absolutely. And the really exciting thing that this company is doing is creating headsets that can survive in the moist environment of a burn unit. Because you, burn units need to have a really high um, moisture index, and obviously oh. that's not good for a lot of tech. So someone has created oh, one. Oh, I never that knew. Can last. Huh. Huh. Uh, let's talk about virtual reality will open the door to incredibly intimate surveillance. So. Yeah, tell me more about this. I find this interesting. I've heard people worried about this. I've heard people worried about the analytics. Why is VR analytics and surveillance going to be so much more powerful than mobile or web or anything else? So when the Oculus statement first came out, everyone kind of freaked out until they realized they weren't really getting all that much more than they had been getting before. So it seemed like the privacy concerns were going to disappear. So the door has been opened again because a company is trying to figure out how you move your head when you are feeling different emotions. So not only can they track what you're looking at and where you're looking and how long you're looking for, they can track when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're excited. And that level of understanding and tracking of a person gets a little bit creepy. Uh, so yes, maybe. I remember seven, eight years ago when I had a location-based games company. 
And I used to try and convince people that people would turn location on their phone all the time. And it would be ubiquitous. We wouldn't say location-based games. We'd just say games and it would be, you know, there'd be location-based like they were multiplayer. Of course they were. You don't have to talk about it. Um, and that's now true, right? Whether it's uh, Yelp or whether it's Tinder or whether it's a food ordering app, for either convenience or choice, people will gleefully hand over their location privacy Absolutely. data. If you can make my VR experience better with this stuff, I mean, does it sound a bit weird? Yes. Do I think that we're going to be caring about it in the year? No. We tend to slide very quickly down our, like, never would do paths. As long as we get something out of it. For convenience and choice. I swear those are the two yeah, factors. Yeah. I want it quicker or I want more choices. Next, we have Leap Motion shows how we'll interact with our hands virtual reality. So this is pretty exciting because we've seen so many people trying to figure out how to do good uh, body input in VR. People are inventing gloves. People are inventing armbands. People are inventing haptic suits. Sounds like Leap Motion is just going the way uh, of making it work really well. Yeah, this is going to be a game changer, unfortunately, for all those people who did go out there and create gloves, because it looks <laughs> like it's probably not going to be much use for them. Um, the, whether or not they will replace controllers, I think it's a bigger question, because we like to be able to touch and feel. If you're playing a game with a gun, I'd rather have a controller in my hand than be making my hand look like a gun and go pew pew. The first Magic Leap video that any of us saw where it was the AR demo and first they're checking their email and then they're mm -hmm. fighting the robots in the office. Mm -hmm. I mean, on the one hand, that was all amazing. I hadn't played with HoloLens yet. I loved it. It was so cool. But there was still the fact that he did choose a weapon and it was just a big cartoony gun and then I had to walk around doesn't feel good. Like no, exactly. We we have a we have a friend here at work named Mariana, and uh, Mariana I think it was Mariana. Somebody here actually preferred the Oculus with the Xbox controller. Mm -hmm. It was Aida because she knew how that worked. She was getting into games yep. and like it was not as immersive. She was not pulling the bow and arrow in the Vive archery thing, but it felt more natural, even if it didn't feel more real. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last time I tried the Leap Motion stuff, it wasn't totally sorted out yet. I'm excited to see what they'll do. I definitely think they've got a big part of the future. How long do you think until uh, the good people at Magic Leap buy them for $100 million? I would be shocked if it wasn't coming. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Fighting virtual reality sickness. This is a huge hurdle for everyone still. I mean, obviously the people who don't get sick don't care. But for those of us like me who still suffer from some pretty um, brutal sickness sometimes, uh, someone has proposed a fix which manipulates field of view in order to reduce VR sickness. It's pretty interesting stuff. Manipulates field of view. Mm -hmm. So they argue that they can reduce the field of view without participants noticing that they're doing it. And somehow, I'm not clear on the science, that makes you not get sick. Okay, okay. As you say, some of us don't have the sickness thing, and so mm -hmm. I am of that privileged bunch, and I, uh, I'm not all that concerned about this. I should be, <laughs> for the industry's sake. Uh, and last up, we have a piece from our friend Sky in New York. Four Lessons VR and 360 video filmmakers can learn from the theater. So last week we talked a little bit about, uh, I think it was Steven Spielberg who said that he didn't like VR and we were saying it's because it kind of kills the director's view. So this article makes a really interesting counterpoint that VR is just like theater. 
Yeah. As long as we've had theater, you can't control where the audience looks. And if the yeah. something moves on the left-hand corner, they're going to look at it. So everyone on stage is always doing something in case you look at them. And that's what VR becomes. Yeah. Wow. That, that seems very true, actually. Yeah. Going back to the basics. Uh, okay, we're going to pound through our quick links. We've got Case Western and Cleveland Clinic use AR for medical education. Not surprised. Everybody's going to be using Hollow AR. lens. It's, it's, it's the future. It's the better way. VR therapy and counseling center wins startup size for PT. Wow, we've got more VR and AR making real impact in right. medical. So this is for PTSD treatment. As an interesting counterpoint to the arachnophobia thing we talked about last week yeah. where you said it didn't work. Big difference is you have a therapist with you while you're doing it. Seems pretty uh, yeah. obvious yeah, solution. That seems, that seems useful. Um, Comcast leads 6.8 in Felix and Paul. Those guys are Montreal. They've been early at this. They produce incredibly high quality work. I haven't seen all of it. I've seen a little bit. I've only heard great things about the rest. Go Canada. Woo! Uh, Luma secures 15 to expand AR optical display capabilities. So they're just going to make the actual optical display. So this yeah. is what you're looking at. The glass This is not projecting onto the eyeball. Right. So they've got glasses for industry that are actually pretty slick looking already. Huh. Okay, this is episode two of the Hammer and Tusk weekly roundup podcast. Remember, SoVR in Vancouver this Saturday. Hope to see you there. Follow us on the internet. Have fun, guys. My name is Mac. My name is Ren. See you next week.